thing in the fact that, you know, as Katie and I were on a walk, we heard this uh, family walk today. We heard it was just a weird noise and turned out to be a four wheeler off in the distance in mm. the woods. And she's like, yeah, what if that was, you know, the, the end of the world, you know, the trumpet mm-hmm. sort of thing. And mm-hmm. she's like, what, what would we, you know, just kind of half joking, like, what would we do? Would we run to the house or are we just going to just kind of, you know, uh, enjoy um, uh, being, you know, reunited in, in, mm-hmm. in heaven at a, at a point. And uh, but anyways, I was kind of going, you always you always imagine this concept of of the end times of you know being all of a sudden and it's over pretty quick and and etc but it's not really that way and then you think i'm going to recognize everything that's going on Mm. uh, and and know it but uh the way that it seems that prophecy always works and especially in the old testament is that even in the new testament uh the prophesied messiah i mean very few people even knew what they were looking at um until you know uh, centuries later in their generations that came after them um, but I guess we should probably just, uh, jump right in. Yeah. I mean, haven't we? <laughs> <laughs> I guess, yeah, I guess we could, uh, probably just keep, keep, keep this at the, at the beginning. Well, um, what did but, you, well, what did you want to talk about? I mean, I've been well, wanting to talk to you for a long time, by the way. I, I, I've wanted to talk about faith okay. and where you are. Cause, um, to delve deeper into what you've been talking about, because, uh, it's been, I mean, you've been talking about it openly and everything, but as as far as uh, more kind of drilled down into where you're at, why you came to this uh, mm-hmm. uh, revelation, how that fits in uh, with with traditional uh, Christian understanding mm-hmm. um, within denominations, and then where that differs, and and just kind of a, a free flowing discussion of that, and then what that means for people who are listening, because uh, a lot of people, especially you know. Uh, I believe uh, on the uh, the last one you did on uh, the anarchocast, I believe mm-hmm. um, it was, you know, obviously that's faith and religion is very much something that a lot of people, not everybody, but a lot of people that fall within that spectrum are kind of less either familiar and, mm-hmm. and many of them also very, you know, you know it's, it's almost like um, uh, going on and, and talking about how this is what the state, this is the functions the state provides mm-hmm. and that are useful. Uh, it's, it's, it's as right. uh, kind of jarring to, to a lot of those folks, but I just kind of want to really dive deep into that. Cause I think that's more the meat of, of the, the meaning of the dim age and, and what we need to do as far as the arcs that we need to build ourselves. Yeah. I, well, I, I think I, I even speaking for myself, I mean, that was, I had always conflated the two, religion and the state, especially Christianity. And I think that's true for a lot of people in the in the West, period, because our tradition, as far as we can see back, that makes any sense. And I think that's really the key. Like, so in my new book, there's a there's a section where I talk about like our historical cultural memory seems to only go back maybe about 200 years, right? Before it gets really foggy to where, you know, you look at somebody from the 1800s or you read something that somebody from the 1800s said and like, they're speaking in our basic language. There's, you look at their style of dress, you look at their fundamental technology that they've got and whatnot. And you're like, okay, that's close enough that I can relate, but you start getting much further back. Like you get into like the late 1600s or the early 1700s. And it's like, okay, these guys are, they're not like me. 
right? This is a, it's, it's, it's faded. Like I know it's history, but this may as well be like mythology in a way. And so all of that time, obviously what we know as religion writ large has been part of the state. And especially in the American experience, although we supposedly have this quote unquote separation of church and state, there has never been a time when the elites of religion and the elite, the elites holding state power haven't been tightly interwoven with one another. You know what I mean? And that's from whether you want to go back to like the Congregationalist pilgrims to, you know, I mean, you're, if you're talking about Boston, you're talking about New England, the political leaders were the, the, the priests, basically. They were the priest class. I mean, Harvard University was begun to train ministers uh, in the Congregationalist uh, faith and tradition. And, the, and those were the leaders. And then, you know, the same thing is the case if you go now to, like, you go to New York or you go to Boston, you go to L.A., and, you know, the bishops there or the cardinals in most cases, those guys are cardinals, right? These are huge dioceses. Like, they are as politically connected as anyone else. You go to L.A., and the cathedral, Our Lady of the Angels, is, I mean, it's on the same block as the federal or same set of blocks, right, as the federal courthouse, the city hall, you know what I mean? It's all right. It's it's a locus. It's right in downtown at the locus of state power. And so and and the Catholic Church has very much wanted to be there. There's been no question about that. And but so has also the evangelical movement clearly in our lifetimes has wanted to be involved in the state. And I think that for those of us who question the morality of the state, it starts to get very difficult for us to find any affinity with religion when we look around and our impression of religion, never mind going into Judaism, having their own state that is doing things that, you know, even those who are friends of Israel have to question some of the actions if they're honest, right? And the same thing goes for many Muslim nations as well. So even any good Muslim, if they're being honest, a moral, righteous Muslim who's, who's following the practice is going to have to say that some of the things that are being done in some of these either theocracies or mainly Muslim countries, are, that, that it's not right, right? They're, they're going to question and say, okay, that's not right. Um, if they're a person of conscience and if they're a person of faith. And so it's in, in some ways, there's, it's been forced to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And anarchism and atheism have gone hand in hand. And there's good, I think, logical, rational, secular reasons why you can blow, the, blow apart, quote unquote, religion. For me, I've always needed to have a mystical and like a spiritual aspect. I do believe that there are mysteries, and I have always believed that, and my experiences have taught me that, whether it's, you know, early experiences with, with things like astral projection, whether it's later experiences with things like psychedelics, even going further into, like, experiences with ayahuasca, but also having experiences that were within the Christian context, for sure, where, well, would I say the Christian context? Definitely within the Judeo-Christian tradition, let's put it like that, where the metaphors that were coming up, the entities that I was dealing with, the patterns that I were, was dealing with, were things in the Bible, in both the Old and New Testament. And so I never had any question about 
whether or not there was a truth there, whether or not there was power there, whether or not there was something to be found there, that was never, ever a question for me. And also really never a question for me about does God, as described in the great texts, exist? There was never a question for me about that. Like that, that's to the core of my being. It was like, yes. But the question was always, and I think this, get, this is what gets to faith, right? So I tell people like, I'm an atheist who prays every day to the, to the Trinitarian God. And people are, they don't get that. And I say that it's because, you know, a theist, what does theist mean? It's someone who believes in God. But I don't, I don't believe in, that's the wrong word. That's the wrong word. Like, you can't have experienced the things that I have experienced at a visceral level and say that this is a question of belief. So, like, it's not a question of belief for me. Like, I know I have experienced, I have had contact with. So then what faith manifests for me and what it's been for the past couple of years now, really, if I, if I say how that I've been going at it hard, is like, it's not whether or not God exists. It's more like, what is the nature of that being, entity, pattern, whatever you want to call it? That's number one. And then number two, what, what does it have, what's its relationship with me? And that's really where the faith is. The faith comes in in exactly like, and then you get into the patterns of like, it's a covenant, it's a contract. Like, but the covenant, the idea that if you deal with this entity, it's an entity of covenants, when you when you are inside of it, it makes so much sense. But that's where the faith is. The faith is like, and and dude, it's just over and over this pattern of like, like what's what's going off in in my head is like you know little evangelical songs of like, uh, you know, he who has begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And it's just like that's the faith. The faith is about will if I do this, will the covenant that is made to me be fulfilled. And I think that that's really what, what comes in of being faithful. I think if people are just at the level of does God exist or not, and I have faith that God exists, like, oh man, to me, that's kind of like a cargo cult. I got to be honest. Um, that's, that's not my experience of, of this faith. And then like recently, I've been totally blessed. And I think that it's only just because I've been searching that like, the tradition came and found me, really, and found me in a form, <laughs> like, manifested itself in a form on earth that was the ex like, almost like, hey, I'm going to manifest it in such a way that it's like, you can't not hear it. There's going to be nothing in here that doesn't completely resonate with you from the people to the message to the moment to everything. And like, here I am. Here I am. Now say something. And so it's just like, it's just, it's just been, that, that's, that's been, I guess that's where I would start, man. And it sounds like you're on a very similar path in terms of your re-embracing of tradition. I mean, I'm actually interested to hear like if that resonates with you and, and, and like where the parallels are in terms of how you've been moving through your own tradition. Yeah, I was, I was, um, you know, to, to slightly go back just a, a little bit, um, we you're talking about the the concept or a lot of people struggle with and a lot of people of faith um do constantly this idea of does god exist am i mm -hmm. you know uh and i think that's 
something I can't necessarily relate to in terms of I've never doubted. Right. Uh, it, it, seriously, uh, I have definitely had periods of my life where I ignored, mm -hmm. um, which I, I think is actually more of a serious sin than actually having um, doubts uh, and then acting as as though what you, you know, if you have doubts or believing that it's true for a period that God doesn't exist uh, versus where there were periods of my life where I, I pretty consciously chose to live my life in a way that I knew was not correct. Mm. And just because it was either because it was, it was easier or, you know, it's easier to live certain lives um, or in, to embrace certain things of the world. Uh, if you try and pretend as though what it, what you know you should not be doing or should be doing uh, isn't actually truth or, or something along those lines. And I, I, the more I've been reading about uh, kind of going more into the old Testament, especially mm -hmm. very, very early. And it's, to me, it's, it's been very powerful to read the old Testament, especially when God first appears, mm -hmm. you know, to Abraham. And there's mm -hmm. this period of, of fallenness, all man has fallen and approaching Abraham. And it's one of the books that I've been meaning to read is a, a whole, there's a whole biography on, on mm. Abraham, but this concept of I am who am. And, you know, you, a lot of times, depending on the period of your life, you'll be just kind of reading through that, or you'll be in church and you'll hear, you know, one of the readings from the old Testament and you'll hear that and you just kind of brush past it. But the, like the more that I think of just that, that single statement of I am who am. And I was just listening to an Orthodox priest in um, California who was talking about, um, the unoriginated God in mm. terms of we, everything in existence, whether it's a dog or a person or a star or a nebula, everything has a creation point. Mm -hmm. um, you know, whether you want to call it the big bang um, or uh, if you want to talk about the, the conception that, you know, with your parents and then you were uh, birthed and everything, but everything has a creation, whereas God himself is unoriginated. This idea of, or not this idea, but this truth of, God being the only being in creation that had no origin point. There was no creation of God um, by, by anything else. He just, he was who is, or he was who, you know, he is who was and, and uh, has always been. And to me, like the more it, it's kind of along the lines of when you really start to meditate on the concept of eternity uh, the concept of the Trinity and then the concept of the unoriginate God is one of those things that the longer that you think about it, like the more it's just kind of like your, your mind doesn't obviously, you know, it's not able to wrap itself around this concept. I mean, just thinking about eternity, like mm -hmm. there's no end to it. Whereas in this life we go, well, you know, like I got a lot, a lot of time left, but at some point, you know, it's going to be over. Mm -hmm. um, and just kind of looking back at this really reverent concept that the early Jewish people had for God, even with his name mm -hmm. of the, the various names, I was kind of going through all of them. And, and one of them I always liked um, was uh, Hakadosh Baruch Hu, which is the Holy One, blessed be he, but just this reverence for God's name to, to a point where they wouldn't even speak the name mm -hmm. and the name that was given has been lost since then. Like God's God's name 
what you know has been um, uh, lost, at least from what was first spoken. And a lot of it's just allusions to mm-hmm. try to bring about that power. But that kind of goes in with my my own re-embracement of tradition as I was born and raised Catholic. Um, and uh, I was born after Vatican II, so I always had the Novus Ordo Mass, uh, as most Catholics mm-hmm. nowadays ha- are used to. There's very few that really remember uh, a period of, pretty much like the grandparent of the greatest generation is probably the last one that really mm-hmm. kind of has a really good memory of it. Most of the boomers, it kind of changed when they were like 16 and they don't have like a real great knowledge of it anymore. And, you know, even with that, there was a period of about two, three years. I remember early on in high school where I thought that I, I had a calling to be a priest. And there, there was a couple mm-hmm. things that happened that made me realize that that was not actually my calling. Um, uh, and that it was, you know, to, to do something else, which later I realized was to be a, a father and a husband. Mm-hmm. But as over COVID, um, when that hit and then the churches shut down, mm-hmm. um, that was literally right at the point where we had, um, you know, a tragedy in our family. My, we, my wife was pregnant with twins and then we lost them mm-hmm. and we couldn't just, you know, one of the, great solaces for for you know christians to be able to attend the the you know the holy sacrifice yes. the mass and you know i shouldn't say one of the the great it is the focal point of our faith it yes. is the 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 focal point of you know everything that's going on on earth it's the most important thing that happens and it happens you know constantly throughout the whole world and the idea of the, it's now shut down we can't do that. We can't do confessions. And at some point, about a month later, they started to bring things back and they had these weird go out into the parking lot mm. or they would do Eucharistic adoration, but you stick in your car and they put it up in the window. And it was just, mm. I get from one perspective, I understand uh, that they were trying to provide and everything like that, but, or provide an option for you to get some of the sacraments and adoration and all that. Um but to me, it was we we literally went to a, a an underground mass right. in modern day because isn't that we, crazy, dude? Yeah, we we <laughs> we had we messaged um, a priest. You know, obviously, I'm not going to give away any names or anything like that. But um, and kind of really kind of laid out everything that was going on, and we're like, we really need a mass. So we we were able to go there. We had a you know we were the only ones there, obviously, and and we were able to participate, and that was very special and 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 wonderful. But it just um, it's also kind of neat in a way of of connecting with uh, Christian history. Because oh, all dude, of... I was about to say, I mean, like that is <laughs> that. How many times has that pattern repeated in the last two thousand yeah. years? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, and 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 that's another thing I've been you know thinking. We'll get to this probably in a little bit, but uh, a little bit later, as far as the the the, the corruption within the mm-hmm. church mm-hmm. and. Um, well, you know, a lot of people go like, why are you, why would you still be Catholic when you see mm-hmm. what, you know, the Pope is doing and, you know, the scandals in the church and everything like that. And is that one thing, if you actually do look at history, this is not anything new. No. Um, the, the specific, you know, circumstances or whatever may be unique or different or worse or not as bad or whatever, but, uh, the, the church is, is a constant cyclical history of mm-hmm. persecution of martyrdom of of uh people being called to sainthood 
um, through that and then also cycles of, of corruption and renewal mm -hmm. as well. Absolutely. And it was a great, uh, but that experience was kind of a great connection of this idea. I was listening to the book, a live not by lies by Roger. Love it. Love and, that book. and it, it, at the, at the same time, um, and just this idea of connecting to those, uh, Catholics and Protestants and Orthodox that were living behind the curtain or under Nazi occupation that did have to go to these underground masses. Mm -hmm. Or if you go to Rome and you go into the catacombs, like mm -hmm. it's all full of statues of, you know, of people, of popes, of saints who were executed um, mm -hmm. uh, while attending the mass down there. But as I thought more about it, I was, I was going like, yes, it's, it, it was a neat experience, but it didn't have to be. We you know, mm -hmm. this idea uh, that it really started to bother me was this was that our bishops of so the leadership within the church was saying to the world, um, you know, not outright, but actions do, you know, speak words mm -hmm. just as loudly as the words themselves sometimes are actually more often than not more loudly by saying we are non-essential. The sacraments are non-essential, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. that it's more important that we make sure that everybody, not just the people who are really worried about it, uh, that everybody doesn't get access to it because of, because of this virus. And at the same time that they're saying that, you know, liquor stores, Best Buy, Walmart, mm -hmm. Target, all of them are open. So by them saying, well, we're going to acquiesce to this request, they're saying, well, we agree that the liquor store and that, you know, you being mm -hmm. able to go get a TV is actually more essential than, than the mass. And that started to really bother me. Hmm. And so I'd been aware of traditional Latin mass for a little while. I'd heard about uh, the society of um, St. Um, uh, Pius X, who uh, was the Pope right before basically hmm. Vatican II was enacted. And then there were some um, basically breakaway to, to, for lack of a, of, of a more correct term, Catholics who rejected Vatican II altogether, and they wanted to keep all the ancient mm -hmm. traditions of the church. Uh, there's been a lot of talk, especially over Benedict's papacy. Um, he was the Pope prior to this yep. current one. Uh, that kind of brought them back into the fold. Uh, there were some issues still with appointing of bishops, but uh, the church is in somewhat communion with them. They're not fully broken away or schismatic, and, and their sacraments are valid. And But I, I still was a little bit reticent about it. And then I started to read more about uh, the fraternity of uh, St. Peter and then the Institute of Christ, the King mm -hmm. sovereign priest. And they offer, they, it's basically the same way it was um, almost exactly what SSPX does uh, pretty much actually exactly what it does uh, as far as the ancient traditions, the, the ancient Latin mass and uh, they offer it, but they're in full communion with Rome. It's mm, just, uh, interesting. Um, so Institute of Christ, the King sovereign priest is just a, uh, just like you have Franciscans or Dominicans, mm -hmm. they're they're just another uh, basically a, an order of of priests, and but their main uh, focus is on on uh, preserving the Latin Mass and offering that to people who would prefer it. And I'd been to what they call a low Mass, which isn't a sung Mass, not as much of the Mass is sung, um, and there's not the incense and all that kind mm -hmm. of stuff. I'd been mm -hmm. to that at my wife's college at Franciscan University, and. I, I hadn't really properly prepared myself for it in terms of, you know, getting a missile and really being able to follow along mm -hmm. and, and kind of reading more up on it. Because I thought, as a lot of people or a lot of Catholics do, is that the Latin Mass is what we're used to or the Novus Ordo, but just said in Latin. And that's absolutely not the case. Mm -hmm. um, 
I just uh, retweeted today uh, someone's explanation of that as well, and that it shows how much, how many words basically. There's like three paragraphs in the Latin Mass at a point um, right before the consecration of the Eucharist, and in the Norvis Odo, it's it's like a, a two sentences. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of stuff that's cut out, mm-hmm. and you could make an argument for that. I, I'm not saying that's invalid. What's the but, argument? That's see, because, um, because this is this is the and, and I think that this is when we start talking about faith and we start talking about mm-hmm. tradition is that it's like. I, and I think that probably if I write another book, like it's it, it, it I know that it's going to be about tradition in the same way that I knew that render unto Caesar, that that story would be the fulcrum for my life between my last book. And now I know yeah. that tradition and exploring tradition and the metaphysics of tradition and, and digging deep into it and, and actually being inside of it is like, I know that that's the next sta- phase of my life. And it's like, you know, it's, it's a whole. And, and isn't that the whole idea of like Catholicos? Like that's the entire idea is that it's a whole, you know? So it's yes. like, if you get the tradition, it's not, there's nothing arbitrary after 2,000 years of no, worship. It's, there's nothing arbitrary. But that's arbitrary. where the apostolic portion comes into. Right, we're, true. We're in the, in the Nicene Creed. Um, or when you say the creed, you're saying, you know, I believe in the Holy Spirit, you know, one whole the Catholic and apostolic church. And that apostolic tradition, I mean, that's, that, that's the church. Yes, that's, yes. that's Roman Catholicism. Um, and that's also, you know, Eastern Orthodoxy as well, this concept of apostolic tradition. If you don't have that tradition, then you're just another, you're just another strip mall, um, yes. a strip yes. mall uh, 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 church. That's and there's, true. there's nothing wrong with the location of where you're at or anything like that. But by that, I mean, this idea of Christ's revelation really didn't come until 2013, you know, in Akron, Ohio. Right. Which, which I don't. You know, I don't mean to demean anybody's beliefs, but I, I do find that a little bit weird where you do have these thousands of years of tradition, but then you'll, you know, reject all that because, it, I mean, even if you're not consciously doing it, you you are doing that by attending that church and saying, well, I, I think that this is what Christ intended. Well, but so then, so then that's what I'm asking you, right? So it's like, you say yeah. that there's an argument for taking out the three paragraphs. and And I say to you that it's like, then all we're talking about is a difference in degree, right? Because it's like, then you've got to say, well, when does it stop? Is it because, because you've already said, right. That like the Akron, Ohio strip mall church is not following tradition. Okay. But they've got the Bible. They, they say they, they worship Christ supposedly, right. They would probably be able to say genuinely a vast majority of the Nicene Creed, right, in their hearts, as as far as they understand it, and so I'm like, so, but they're not. So I'm like, well, where is the the part? It's you're saying three paragraph, taking out three paragraphs, taking out the incense, taking it out of a different language. That's still okay, and that still counts as tradition. And now, mind you, I'm not like I'm not I'm not like I'm not trying to be accusatory here. I'm just trying to play this out for us mm-hmm. to have this like thought because it's an important thought exercise to me and i don't know who else i could have this conversation with that i know right who would be who i would feel like i could genuinely walk through this with them so it's like it's like where where is the line is i guess and and so the people who reject vatican ii they've made a line right they've made a line they've said well it's anything 
And that's to me, it seems like, well, that's a pretty good line. Like that's a pretty that's kind of a good line. At least you know where that line is. But what I'm asking you is like, so so what's the argument for Novus Ordo and that still being tradition? Uh so as far as and and for everybody listening, I'm not a um scholar and I'm not a theologian or anything like that. So I'm sure that there's a lot better arguments than what oh, I'm and I'm not and I'm not asking I'm not yeah. asking you to defend the church. I'm just asking you from as somebody who is working through this like yeah. i'm asking you for your line really you know what i, I mean i think that uh, if you look at a lot of the words being like that that were cut out what was left in they a lot of those people would argue that what's left in is inferring the rest or is covering the rest and and the concept of vatican II, the you know the little that i've read about the history of it and why uh, was this idea of, and this is the words that they did use, was throwing open the windows of the church. This idea yeah. of allowing a fresh breeze into an old dusty house. And yeah. I think a lot of it really had to do, and you saw this across the Western world, especially in Europe, uh, was this idea of tradition did not save us from massive, two massively bloody, deadly world wars. Right. And of course, knowing the history of a lot of what was going on behind the scenes, this idea of getting rid of the monarchies, uh, a lot of, you know, the, the fellow travers, travelers of socialism and communism mm -hmm. kind of infiltrating across there, this idea that it was, you know, the, uh, the Christendom, the, the tradition of Christendom that brought about this. But in the average person's mind, I'm sure a lot of it had to do with we've had two massively destructive wars and we can't in the United States really understand what right. that was like right. compared to someone who sat there and, and was living in Dresden when it was firebombed and, you know, 50,000 people were burned right. alive and died there. So I think a lot of it had to do with this idea of, well, tradition didn't save us from that. Right. Which is not a Christian or Catholic perspective that somehow, you know, if you go to the mass, nothing bad's ever going to happen. That's the kind of the reverse, of... really. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think a lot of this led to a lot of the, you know, in the United States, you saw, saw this with the Vietnam War, is that, and a lot of, one of the reasons a lot of anti-war people try to appeal to conservatives is saying, if you want to conserve a culture and keep tradition and keep, you know, America, keep France, keep mm -hmm, whatever, mm -hmm. the way that it was that you like war is the absolute last thing that you ever want because right. any major societal changes have usually always been preceded by by war and especially really costly deadly bloody wars yes um and i think a lot of it had to do with that and a lot of the uh th this idea of and then you saw like the growth of Protestantism um, across, you know, Europe and throughout the world. I think that some of that and there was this idea of, well, we need to meet people where they are. Um, I, I, I don't know, like the, you know, most people don't understand Latin. So let's make it in the vernacular. Um, and I, I could kind of see maybe where that might make sense because then it could connect you. But the thing is, is that. When, when you would go home and you teach catechesis and you talk about mm -hmm. God and you'd pray over your table and a lot of that, a lot of times I was already in the vernacular anyway. Of course it is. And the concept of Catholicos, you know, a universal church, the idea of having Latin as being the language of the mass is that if you grew up in France mm -hmm. and you participated in the mass your whole life, 
that if you go to Angola, if you go to mm -hmm. China or, you know, Vietnam now, if you go to a uh, Catholic church in Russia or in Montana, it's all going to be the same. And yes. now when you go around, there's so much change, you know, in some places it will, it's, you know, it's guitar and xylophones mm -hmm. and whatever it is. And there's nothing it, it, that's bothered me for a very long time is uh, like, it's not that children shouldn't be included. They definitely should be. But this idea of putting children at the front by the altar playing xylophones off key which is a story that i've lived <laughs> it there's nothing more that takes me out of of uh, of focusing on the divine during worship than than just un, un, for lack of a better term ungodly noise but isn't this i mean and i think this is getting to my point right so like i i guess the what what i'm coming to understand is or 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 where i think the question that we have to ask is what is the what what do we do or how do we deal with the idea that tradition properly understood is something that is emergent and what i mean by that is like it's like chesterton's fence this idea of of uh this this famous sort of philosophical axiom from chesterton who's like um you know, if you're it's the, the story is that there's two guys who are walking and then just in the middle of the field seeming to do nothing, they see a fence. And one of the guys is like, well, take the fence out because it's doing nothing. And he's like, wait, wait, wait. But first, you need to tell me what why that fence was put there. Absolutely. I will not let you take it away until you tell me why that fence was put there. And then once once you have hold, hold on one second. Sorry. Um, no, no, no problem at all. Yeah. So the the idea is that, and, and I've done this Kingsbury quote before as well. You know, with the fence, the idea is once you know why it's there, only then can you remove it. And then Donald Kingsbury, I've, I've put this quote on Twitter and other things many times. I think it's so good. I even quoted it in my book, but it's from this book, Courtship Right where he says tradition is the set of solutions to problems that or to problems that we've forgotten that we had. And if you take away the solution, you get the problem back. Sometimes it's the same, sometimes it's worse than ever. That's basically a paraphrasing of it. And so the idea is like once you start to remove something, it's almost impossible to know how valuable that thing was and the only way that it makes it into tradition well and and i think that this is something i'd also like to talk about is like the experiential nature because i think you're getting at that right is that like yeah it is that no, like definitely christianity is meant christianity is an experienced religion so it's like the entire the entire you go through the gospel and the whole thing is about an actual experience of the divine. I mean, the, the idea that that's the entire reason that God chooses to come and manifest as a man in the physical plane is because it's that now it is going to be experienced in the physical plane. Now, like now this is where, this is where it's happening. It's not a psychological phenomenon here. Like something physical is going to happen with you. You are going to be filled with the Holy spirit. Like this is this is what is going to happen to you as a faithful Christian. And that's part of what is supposed to be happening 
to you, not just metaphorically, but literally during, during mass and especially during the Eucharist. So it's like, if, if, if you are having this experience and if the experience is working, how can you take away even the smallest part? Like, how do you know? Does anybody actually know? All can, They may be able to tell you, and certainly uh, Catholic theologians can tell you when each little piece of the mass was inserted, but can they go back and tell you the experiences of the people involved in actually, can they tell you about the individual experiences of the divine that were part and parcel of the way that that got in there, that somebody wrote that in there? Like nobody can talk about that. And by taking it out, aren't we, my question is like, by taking that out, aren't you already being unfaithful? Like, aren't you already saying that the way that it got in there the first time was not through the Holy Spirit? Aren't you already saying that by taking it out? I would, I would say in short, yes. Um, I, I think it is beyond hubris to look at a tradition as old as the Catholic Church, which is the, you know, the oldest, definitely in the West, the oldest surviving uh, tradition For sure. that we have. And the idea that it, it's almost, you know, like we we're talking about earlier, the, the strip mall in Akron, the idea that you are removing that all of these things and now instituting something almost completely would be unrecognizable mm-hmm. to a, a Christian. Definitely. If you go back to like, you know, 1820, mm-hmm. if you took a Catholic from 1820 and just transported them from their church, um, right at the beginning of mass, excuse me, to uh, a Novus Ordo mass right now, it'd be almost totally unrecognizable. They would probably think that they, uh, maybe went to not even an Episcopalian in 1820 either, maybe a Congregationalist, mm-hmm. uh, something along those lines. And I, I think that, one, I think a lot of Catholics, especially one of the things with COVID, it really woke them up. Kind of was, a lot of them, it was the same experience as me as this idea of, well, I was told all my life that, you know, one, it's God's commandment that we go and we worship. Mm-hmm. Um, and keep uh, you know the, the day holy, right? And and as Catholics, we do that by uh, going to mass at least that once a week, uh, if not more. If you have the ability to go to daily mass, it's it's actually a very a great thing for your soul. Um, but now we're being told that never mind, it's really not that big of a deal, and you can just watch it on YouTube. Which mm. last year when we watched, you know, we got dressed up um, in our you know our Easter uh, you know like kind of. Easter clothing that we kind of mm-hmm. we always get the girls like nice new dresses mm-hmm. and and everything like that to uh, is something to look forward to with Easter and everything along with along with uh, uh, going to the mass. But it was it was one of the more disheartening things um, to watch mass on our TV right. and just sitting on the couch. Right. Um, there's no experience of the divine. And yes, we have a dispensation from the bishop saying that we're, we're not sinning by not participating physically in the mass, but it just, it didn't feel right. Mm-hmm. And what you're seeing actually is, I mean, some traditional Latin mass parishes are seeing upwards of 300 plus percent increase in their parish sizes mm-hmm. over the last year. Mm-hmm. It has been growing 
like massively. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons they just a couple days ago, the Vatican actually has now, they're no longer allowing traditional Latin mass within St. Peter's, mm. uh, except for in one underground uh, at the Clementine Chapel. But they're also not allowing anything other than an Italian, and it has to be all concelebrated. So what wow. they used to have, if, if you went to, especially when the Latin, you know, let's just say you went back to 1920, there are, gosh, I forget, is there eight total altars? Don't quote me on the number, but let's just say eight throughout all of St. Peter's, not just the main altar. Um, all, all along um, the, the walls of the uh, of of inside St. Peter's mm -hmm. and you would have, and, mo and they were pretty much all timed and they were doing everything at the same time. And it was, it was all, it was very beautiful. And now they have to do this con celebration thing where there'll be one of the altars is actually a priest celebrating the mass. The rest of them are kind of doing this weird thing where they hold their hands up mm -hmm. and kind of say the words at the same time, but they're not actually doing the mass separately. It's, mm, it's, I see. It's not liturgically, wrong it's just very strange and you're usually only allowed to co-celebrate let's just say if there's like 10 priests at a mass there's not gonna be 10 priests all holding up the host at the right, same time right. right they they all kind of hold up their hands and but that's usually the rule usually has been you have to be within like touching distance of the altar to kind of co-celebrate mm -hmm. right you can't do it from the back of the church or anything so this is kind of a very weird thing it's a very much a push and a lot of people within the traditional community kind of feel like this is a response to um, the fact that a lot of the traditional parishes have been growing while the Novus Ordo, they're not seeing people come back to the same levels that they were big surprise. Mm -hmm. And to kind of get back to your, what you're talking about with tradition is that I think that other, you know, a lot of Catholics who care enough to pay attention are really starting to also realize is that just like in you know the gospel story, a true shall be known by its fruits. Well, Vatican II's changes and changing the mass and kind of getting rid of a lot of these ancient traditions as being uh, treating them as though they are, you know, it's kind of like fluff in an article. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like some high schooler who used the word "the" as often as they could to get mm -hmm. five hundred right. words, right. And, which is not the case. Um, that the proof is in the what you saw was a growing church. Uh, the 20th century was one of the worst periods of of Christian martyrdom. There were about 20 million oh, yeah. Christians killed um, by various communist governments. Not to count the ones in Europe that were just civilians. And it, you know you had, a, but you still had a growing church. And what what you usually find is that when a church that the church, a church, and talking about the church, a church that embraces tradition and holds fast to their beliefs. That when and, and Christianity's one thing you've always found is that no matter how many times it's beaten down, it always comes back stronger. Yeah, and its witness is best when there are you know opportunities for sainthood. Mm -hmm. And what you're seeing now is we've changed all everything and mass parishes are getting smaller they're constantly reorganizing parishes because they don't have enough to fill five so they consolidate down to three and they sell off all the stuff in three and it's one of the saddest things to go on ebay and you see this gorgeous gothic stained glass mm -hmm. um windows that had once adorned churches and kind of gave you this feeling of the divine 
are now being sold on eBay for a couple thousand dollars. Right. But I think a lot of people are realizing this this idea that tradition is important. It wasn't thrown in there haphazardly. Mm-hmm. And your the quote that you came from uh, that you got or um, said from Chesterton, I think, was one of the few things that he said that was actually pretty good. And <laughs> but I mean, it really is profound, though. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's this stuff is not there because you know, bishops and desert fathers and monks were bored and were like, what else can we throw in here? Like, I want to have my mark, right? There was a lot of debate and there was a lot of discussion and these things were not come too lightly. They were, they were brought into there because of this idea of you want to lift up the people who are participating in the Holy sacrifice. They, you want to lift it, um, lift their minds to the divine in, in a, and experience the divine. And that's, that was my experience uh, last Sunday going to a traditional Latin mass and it was a high mass. And that's what the incense, most of the mass is sung, is sung a Gregorian chant. And wait, hold on before, before you go, oh, right? sorry. before you go forward, like, I think this is super important because for some reason, this seems to be like, so I'm a, do you know who Paul Vanderclay is? YouTuber? I've heard the name, but I'm not that familiar. So he's kind of like people who follow Jordan Peterson are kind of like familiar with him. I listen to him a lot. He's a a Calvinist minister, super sharp guy, but he's been like, he's been wading into sort of like the Peterson ideas and whatnot. And he's, I mean, he's, he's good. Like scripturally, he's good. The whole nine. And he's, he's also interestingly like, because he's in one of the older Protestant traditions, it's so different from even like evangelicals, right? So he he at least has a few hundred years that he can call back into his tradition. So it's like it's interesting to see like even that level that like the ground that he's standing on is so much more. But it's what I'm going to talk with him next week. But it's like one of the things, and I think one of the reasons why he wanted to have a conversation was because because I have been talking about this, this experiential aspect of Christianity that I think for a lot of evangelicals is like, see, for me, I'm not, I'm not doing any practice of worship if there's no experience, right? Like, and, and I'm also not going to try to fool myself into like hypnotizing myself into like, oh, I got some sort of experience, like it's either there or it's not in the same way that like, I'm not going to fool myself that I'm hearing words coming from you. Right. Like there's either an experience there or there's not. And like, I think people who approach their spirituality that way, like I would, I would consider those people to be mystics, right? Like mystic minded. And I think that you are. And so it's like, what I'm interested in is, your like you say there's an experience of you've said it a few times like and i think it's super important because it's clearly informing like your value hierarchy and so you're like okay you're sitting there watching mass on tv on your couch and there's no experience of the divine and i think that it's like (laughs) yeah of course not right like I, i think that you probably didn't walk into it expecting that there would be and would be shocked if there was but then you have this other experience and it's like, yes, there's an experience of the divine. So what is it that you are saying? And I know that I'm asking a lot from you right here, right? But it's like, what is it that you are saying there? Like, what is the experience of the divine? 
I know. I'm asking. I'm asking a lot, and it's like if somebody asked me the same question, I'd have the same response. But I'm like, <laughs> if I, you can, right? So f- for me, it's not necessarily a constant. It's mm-hmm. something um, within my individual prayer. One of the things that I picked up from listening to you, uh, when if I can't remember which exact episode it, it was that you were talking, I can't remember if it was on P. Quinones or. Wherever, but anyways, when you talked about um, in the morning, you say the mm-hmm. Jesus prayer, and I was mm-hmm. like, I don't know that one, and and that's something that is, isn't really that well known uh, within the Catholic community. Mm-hmm. That that's an Orthodox tradition. So I, I I looked it up, and then I bought that book um, by Saint Sophrony, the His Life Is Mine. So one mm-hmm. of the reasons I haven't started your book yet is that I've been slowly working my way through that. I'll, Dude, I, how I good read is that the, book, by the way? I, it's there's a lot of stuff underlined in there Bro. and i go through like 10 pages maybe at a time that's what i was doing that's and what then I, was... I just kind of i kind of reread it a bunch of times because there's portions of it i'm not like i don't understand it quite fully uh and to say that i understand it fully is is, is yeah, a little yeah. bit of hubris as well but yeah but yeah so I'm, I'm trying to really understand it so sometimes like i, I i'll keep on going back and rereading it and it's been very helpful. And one of the things that I do, I mean, we do a daily rosary mm-hmm. um, with the, in our family, but as far as with the Jesus prayer, I found it, excuse me, very meditative to be doing kind of on my daily routine. Like mm-hmm. uh, today I was, I'd been chopping wood for the last like month. I had so much. And as I was chopping wood or today when I was finally able to stack it all, cause everything is unfreezing now. Um, I just keep on saying it over Mm -hmm. and over and it's very meditative and you kind of get in you know to what they kind of call i guess in kind of the silicon valley secularism of flow state Mm -hmm. um where i just kind of am feeling uh i'm moving through the world but i'm not necessarily conscious fully of it in the same way that I am if I'm talking on the phone or if I'm checking Twitter as I'm walking or whatever, where I'm kind of fully aware of everything going around me Mm -hmm. or going on around me. Um, And so there are times like when I am doing prayers where I am, there's something else on my mind or there's something else that I'm, I'm, you know, doing. And, And part of that is this, constant struggle to kind of just give yourself over to the divine Mm -hmm. and to concentrate on that worship versus kind of worrying about the petty things that we have in this in this life and understanding that they are you know in in terms of eternity like this is you know we're just here for just a second Mm -hmm. and all these things really don't matter but they do seem to be very important but when i walked into that church like i i made sure i was like i wanted to leave i was trying to go the weekend before but the, the kids were throwing a fit and I, I couldn't um, I was going to take um, my two oldest and um, anyways, then my oldest, anyways, there was a whole thing and they, they were throwing fits and couldn't get him into the car. And I was trying to calm <laughs> him down. And by the time we left and I got like five minutes down the road, it's like, unless I go like 80, I'm not going to go there. Cause that, that, that mass is about an hour away from me. And I was like, I want to get there early. I've never been there before. So I'm not familiar with the streets and even with Google maps you know, is there, is this mm-hmm. like a smaller like chapel and whatever? So I, you know, I end up turning around and then this week or last Sunday, I got and make sure that we're early, um, made sure that I was dressed early and I was just going to take just my oldest. She's, she's going to be getting her first communion here in like a month or so. She's mm-hmm. a lot more aware of 
as best as seven year old can be of what's going on in the importance of it. And, you know, I bought her a veil and everything mm -hmm. because you, you, uh, uh, traditionally you are veiled, um, in, in Latin mass. And that's how it was for pretty much most of all traditional mm -hmm. Christianity. And by traditional, I mean, Orthodox and Catholicism and, and, um, Eastern Rite Catholics mm -hmm. as well, uh, up until Vatican II. And, we we walked in there and usually when you walk into a Norvis Ordo parish, and this is only my subjective experience, although I've been into a lot of them mm -hmm. and there's only one other time that I can remember going into a church and it was in Italy um, where people were praying before mass started, but we mm -hmm. got there and we were like 15, 20 minutes early. So I thought, okay, we'll get there. We'll go in. We get in there and they're saying um, uh, uh, hail, uh, the end of a Hail Mary and starting the St. Michael prayer. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, everybody was already seated. Usually in Norvis Ordo, Norvis Ordo, a lot of people are slowly filtering in and getting there. And we've done it too, just because of with kids sure. and things happen and you're trying to get them into the car. But um, people are filtering in and it's a lot of noise in there, but it's not noise of prayer. It's noise of how are you doing? How are your kids? Mm -hmm. Oh, is your son? Did you get that job? You know, how are you doing? Is your hip okay? Because most Norvis Ordo, Ordo parishes for that I've been to are a lot of, especially ours now, is very old. Right. We're one of the few right. younger families in it. And everyone is always like, oh, we're so glad to see younger kids and stuff like that there. But we get in there and they're already praying. So we go in and we get to our uh, pew, we genuflect. And then um, there's always a set of prayers that I say to kind of prepare for mm -hmm. mass um, uh, right before I say some before, you know, when I'm driving there. But and we look around and then I realize after I sat down there, it's like a polar opposite of our parish, whereas in our parish, mm -hmm. it's like 95 percent people over the age of 50. This parish, it was probably 80 to 90 percent. All families around my age with three, four, five kids, all, you know, and all of them hmm. are under 15. Hmm. It was all young people, hmm. you know, if you want to call 30 and younger, young. Um, and that that was the first thing I was just like, man, this, this is, uh, you know, and it, it was a kind of a very joyous thing too to go like, okay. You know, not only are there still a lot of young people coming into the faith, but like they're attracted to this this idea of tradition. Right. And you're seeing that a lot of now that I'm kind of been more going on to like trad Twitter, as it's called. Yeah. Um, it that a lot of the same experience. Right. And then the bells rung, the, the mass started and then the Gregorian chant started. Right. And you know, the, the priest and it, it's everything. It's all boy altar service as well. Wow. And all the vestments and all the stuff that's associated with, and you know, this isn't even like a, the Christmas high mass in Latin, like is something to be, be seen. If you haven't ever seen it, like pull it up on YouTube. Okay. You know, it's not the same experience, but like a Christmas high mass, especially uh, in one of the major cathedrals and stuff is, is just, it's pretty amazing. I mean, it's like, you know, it's, and it's, because a lot of it was developed in medieval and kind of what we mm -hmm. kind of um, you know, experience. It's kind of, it's very regal, which is fitting because we are worshiping a King mm -hmm. and we are participating in, in a sacrifice of God where God himself is present. So it should be regal. It shouldn't be uh, nonchalant. It shouldn't be wearing sports team jerseys mm -hmm. and, and shirts and stuff like that. I mean, like if I always kind of go like, if you heard Jesus Christ has come down and he is, he's going to be presiding over the mass today. Like that's right. literally Christ. 
what would you be doing different? And then right. would you st- be talking about how your hip is doing? Right. And would you be wearing, you know, a Green Bay Packers jersey or whatever to, to go there? I, I don't think you would. And if you do, I think that I, I don't know what to tell you, because then at that point, you're really, really kind of uh, uh, asking, asking for um, some kind of Old Testament judgment upon well, you. I think what's crazy, that dude, is that it's like, even if somebody said Joe Biden was coming to, 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 to preside, and I'm not saying he would preside over the mass, but what I'm saying is that Joe Biden, even Joe Biden was going to be there. Right. Or if he was going to be speaking at a school, I, I mean, you would be like acting totally different. Even if you're a Republican, you would be acting in a totally different manner than you're acting right now. So what does that say about your relationship with Christ? Right. Like <laughs> what I think it says is that after we lost, like as much as you know, modern day conservatives, most of whom go to church dressed, you know, inappropriately. Right. Um, or a lot of whom, you know, I, I don't have numbers, but uh, a, a lot of the people at that parish would identify themselves as conservatives and all that. And they go, you know, they'll share those boomer memes of like, mm-hmm. man, I wish people dressed like this. And it shows like Frank Sinatra and a hat and all that. Mm-hmm. It's like nothing, there's nothing stopping you. And now we live in a time where like, you can literally pick up a suit and tie for sure. probably about 40 bucks. Sure, It's not going to, you know, it's not going to be Brooks Brothers, but it's going to be decent enough where you can at least look presentable. Yes. And I think a lot of it had to do with this idea of like, well, we're throwing away as useless all these traditions and we want to make it fun and we want to make it touchy feely and we want to, you know, make it, I, I, it's Protestantizing to me. That's kind of the best term that I can think of. And the thing is though, is just like when you see, you know, conservatives tried to do like, if you watch like turning point USA and then mm-hmm. they tried to do, I, I don't know, like Kardashian level kind of like talk shows and they talk yes. like they're from SoCal. It's yes. like, that's not going to work because you're never going to out cool or out, out uh, um, pop culture, the left. You're right. never going to do that. Right. Or when a lot of conservatives will go and they'll go like, well, you know, we're for this too. And we're for that or whatever. It's like, you're not going to out left them. Yes. You're never going to, in the same thing, or I should say Libertarian Party even better. When they try to jump on a lot of the, the woke points, it's like, you're not going to outleft the left. Anybody who's really concerned with um, with the uh, with, with uh, Black Lives Matter protests, mm-hmm. with uh, uh, fighting fascism, um, whatever you view it as being existent, um, you know, all these sorts of things, like, you're not going to outleft them. If they're really concerned about you know, defeating fascism, they're not going to turn to you. But in I, the still, same I way think that... that so much of this is about like how, how, where, where we derive our value of experience. Right. So it's like, yeah, it's like the, what I really think. You're not going to out guitar and out band like Catholics. Like if you go to them when they have the full band, they have the full drum. Like, it, it, I'm sorry, but like you go to these, these uh, kind of modern Protestant non-denominational services where they have the laser light shows yeah. and the mega churches, like they do it better and they're always going to do it better because Catholicism, the liturgy, the, the mass and the buildings themselves for the most part, except for maybe some of them built in more recent times, they're not built to do that. And they're not built to do that because they were built to, to uphold a 2000 year old tradition well but i think i think that like this but again this goes back to experience so it's like like like, so let's the the mega church example right so yeah you walk in and then they do the service and they have like some 
awesome band and laser light shows and all of this. And you have an experience there, right? And you walk out, and this has been what the American evangelical movement has been about. And it's, but it's the same thing that like Turning Point USA is trying to do and all of these to where it's like, you walk away with an experience of, wow, that production value was awesome, right? And you're just like, but it's about novelty. So it's like going and seeing a movie to where, you know, it's the latest Marvel movie. And whoa, wasn't that a spectacle, right? It's the society of the spectacle. Uh, to where it's like, that spectacle for the sake of spectacle is like junk food, you know? I've used that before. I talked to my wife about that because she is very much a charismatic. She went to Franciscan yes, University. Yes. Okay. And that's a Catholic university, but they are very much a charismatic uh, university. They do festival of praise and all that mm-hmm, kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and... And I understand, like, I, I was talking to her one day, and um, a couple of years ago, she'd gone to, because they don't have any of that locally here, as far as from a Catholic perspective. And she went to one of those churches that does that, because uh, they were doing a praise and worship, mm-hmm. you know, session or whatever. She's like, I just kind of miss praise and worship a little bit. I just want to go. And she went there, and she's like, you know, it was really nice and all that, but, it, like, it just, there's no sacrifice to the Mass. There's no Eucharist. There's no, mm-hmm. like substance and i was like yeah it's, it's like it's refined sugar it'll give you that boost for that yep. hour after you feel real good and i've i've been to those when i visited her there and they do like you do feel very good even even within the catholic you know where they do incorporate um some of the tradition and, and stuff into there there is some more substance than you'd find there but it, it's refined sugar. It's not a meal that will keep you satiated Yes. yes. Um, day to day to day. It'll keep you like, you'll be on that high for that hour or so after. And then by the morning you wake up and for the most part, it's kind of like gone and it's almost, you know, or it's mm-hmm. almost like a drug where, where you have to keep on getting it more and more to kind of really get that experience. But that's but, how a uh, mega church becomes mega. Yeah. Right. And and also the other thing about it is that it doesn't require you to commit yourself internally. So it's like it doesn't require an internal commitment. You're going to be blasted with the experience. Right. It's you're blasted with the experience and it doesn't matter who you are or what you believe you can appreciate. And so it's like in tradition, there is obviously going to be elements of that. But they are so, so like from a, a, a sensory standpoint, obviously you're adding in things, but they are the spicing, right? Like they're bringing out, if they're done right, they're bringing out the internal flavor and enhancing the nourishment mm-hmm. of, of what's in there. And that's like, that's the mean for meaning for the tradition, but it requires, so like, I mean, even, even like it requires even you saying, you are praying in preparation for mass, right? Like you are preparing your spirit to even go into that experience. And it's like, I will tell you, like that's that across traditions. So like, even if we're, so like I can speak about something so disparate, right? So it's like, even when it comes to something like ayahuasca, like this is a multi-thousand year old tradition. It's a ceremony. It's a ritual. You partake all together in communion, and then you go into this. So it's like the pattern, this is a pattern that evolved in the jungle, 
And it's like you look at mass as a pattern, right? And then you look at an ayahuasca ceremony as a pattern, and you're like, whoa, they're so similar in almost every way that this pattern is. Obviously, they're accessing different spirits, right? But it's like that somehow this is going to take us into the realm. But part of it beforehand is you do what's called a dieta. Like you have to change your diet and your behavior for like seven days beforehand, maybe 14. Well, that, that's the same for, for mass. It used to be, now it's changed to an hour before. Right. But previously for Catholics and still practice with Eastern Orthodox is this idea of fasting from food and, and drink. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I believe it's, a you know, it's, it can't be later than either midnight or mm-hmm. when you go to the bed, day, whichever is sooner. Yeah. And uh, marital relations has to be mm-hmm. fasted uh, from the, uh, mm-hmm. like married priests in, in Eastern traditions are not allowed uh, for a whole day, 24 hours prior, which is why um, you know, married priests are not allowed to do like daily liturgy mm-hmm. because that would, it would be impossible to have a successful marital mm-hmm. um, relationship if you had to abstain and you were also doing daily mass requiring you to abstain from that aspect of your marriage as well. But and I kind of fell into that anyways, where I always made sure I was doing the hour before, but now that I kind of do intermittent fasting anyways. Right. Um, so you're there. I've So yeah, I, I kind of, it, without me actually doing it consciously, I realized later I was doing it already where I don't eat a breakfast. Um, and so I've, I've been basically fasting since about six o'clock um, the night before up until the noon, roughly about noon meal when we get back from mass. So like, so, okay, so I want to talk with you about that. I want to talk with you because this, this now goes to like my own journey of getting to the place where I'm at. So, so, and so what is the place that I'm at? So the place that I'm at is like, I'm actually in the middle of, of uh, Orthodox catechism right now. Right. So it's like, I'm a baptized Catholic. I was raised up in the Anglican Episcopal church. Like, but like, I'm going, like I'm starting over basically. And but it wasn't that I was looking for a church, right? It was kind of like in terms of your, like what you just said about the fasting was that a series of things occurred where I was, I was having these experiences of the divine, right? But like whispers because I was doing certain things. Fasting was one of them, like a practice of fasting, right? Get like contemplative, like not not systematic prayer, but contemplation, but within the context of like reading scripture and whatnot, because I was working on this book, right? So it was like, the book is Render Unto Caesar. It starts with this story. So it's like, obviously that's going to require a lot of me. Now I was already like very familiar with, but weirdly enough, familiar with scripture, but I realized that I had not read it in narrative form. Like I had never read an entire gospel all the way through. I realized that while I knew the stories and I knew the differences in the stories in the different gospels, like I knew acts and all of that, like what was going on. I could even quote from a lot of it, but it was like, I had never read a gospel all the way through as though somebody had just handed me the book and was like, here's a story. Here's the story of God. Read it. I had never done that. And so it was like, in, in that context, all of these things happen in like, that's totally a microcosm of like, where I was just constantly saying, oh, I was doing that already. 
oh, I was doing that already. Oh, I was doing that already. And then when, when I got the opportunity to have a relationship with a very interesting Orthodox priest, then it was like, and we didn't even enter into it like he was trying to bring me into the church, right? We entered into it in sort of a, a level of mutual respect of like, oh, this is an interesting guy. This is an interesting guy. And both of us talking to him interested in the things that I was teaching. Uh, and I actually started out teaching him first, right, when it came to Bitcoin. And then him teaching me some things and helping me with with my prayer because I was like, dude, I would, I would, it would be helpful. Like, can I at least talk to you about the things I'm experiencing? And then it was just like all the things that what I was already doing. And so it's kind of one of these backfill things. And that this is what I'm starting to see about tradition, right? Is that it's like, how do these things get in in the first place? Like, how does the fasting get in in the first place? And it's like, well, huh, I didn't eat. And then I had this amazing experience. Oh, but this time I, I ate and I got nothing. Let, let me try not eating again. Oh, whoa, it worked. Let me try not eating again. Oh, whoa, it worked. Okay, guess what? It's better to not eat. Boom, that becomes the tradition, right? It's like, and, and I think that when you talk about, and this is, I agree with you in terms of going back to Genesis and Abraham, like in 2014, it was really exploring Abraham deeply. Like I've got this, uh, probably no one will, no one will see it. I've shared it with very few people. And now that I look at it, I'm not sure if it's even, it may even be blasphemous, but like basically going back through Genesis. And there's another story that runs through Genesis that is probably like something that I don't want to talk about. But like when I was sort of operating on the left-hand path, like I was definitely following that story. But getting into Abraham and like seeing the with Abraham, and it's not just Abraham, but I mean, it's the entire Torah. And it certainly is, you know, the end manifestation is Christ himself. But it's like, God keeps manifesting, he keeps iterating, right? Like his nature obviously never changes. Who he is never changes. But like there's this story and a life of God in his relationship with man, and he keeps revealing more and iterating more, and we understand the nature more. And it's, some of it's, it's, it's fate, it's providence. You know, I mean, some people might call it just just luck if they're materialists, but that it's like, you 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 find yourself through a series of things trying something and then it works or you happen into it and then it works but that's also the story of scientific discovery right like penicillin being discovered kind of by accident it's like oh you know we left this petri dish over here and then this oh what is that you know and it's like the same thing about discovering cuz he's everywhere in everything and eternal and and can have a relationship with us, but it's like the co the covenant. It's not that the covenant changes. You know, it's not. It's not like the Ten Commandments became null and void. It's that they were like, ex not not and not even expanded, but and not even like refined is maybe the word, right? That like, no, there's more. There's more to this. It's a broad. There's a broader context of the thing that's going on here, and so it's like. This is this again goes back to to what I was saying about like removing things from out of tradition and not so it's like there's the fasting thing it's Chesterton's fence totally man to where it's like no the reason this is here be, is because it works and I think that that's why we're seeing and I think the Orthodox Church is growing too 
you know, and I, I even hear about people going to Islam and it's like that, the, that, but, but what they're adopting is they want to go back to the traditional forms. Everybody wants to go back to the traditional forms because the novelty has reached such a level now to where first off there isn't like there, I, I think what it is, is everything's a retread. Like even I turn on pop radio now, and as somebody who's been in the music industry for 20 years, like they're literally just re redoing songs that are like 25 years old that the young people don't wouldn't be familiar with. But I'm like, oh, that was like a number 10 track, but it's the exact same song just with different instrumentation. And they're playing it off like it's some new pop track. Oh, that the new song from and it's like, well, that ain't new. That's the exact song. And so I think that what it is is that we've reached a point all throughout everything, and including in, in Catholicism, including in Protestantism, where there's no more novelty. And so now everybody's like, well, I, I want the real deal. I want the real food. But we're seeing it, I mean, but that's even, we're seeing it in food, right? We're seeing it in everything. We're seeing it in dress. We're seeing it in everything that people are just like, the novelty is ridiculous. It's gone into the absurd. And that's why you get things like trad, like the trad movement and all of this, you know? So, so, and, but I think maybe you still didn't answer my question about like the experience no, of the no, divine, the experience of the divine. Tell me. Yeah. yeah so to kind of go, just go back to kind of where I went off on a, on a, a digression there, but as, as we experience that mass and all the tradition was there, all of the, like I I don't know just that experience and I I I was I bought a, a a book and everything that was a you know like traditional Latin mass explained like it mm -hmm. was almost like a four dummies book and it kind of went you know the priest is going to do this and this is what he's you know these are the things that he's saying and all that so that I could kind of follow along but a after like just a, like a little bit I just kind of like closed the book and I turned to my daughter's like if you want to keep I'm uh, keep on paying you know do that but I think it I was like why don't we just close these mm -hmm. and just experience it. And so we both kind of did, and um, it was like just—I I don't know—like there was just a, a, a one of the the biggest things was this. It was so reverential, mm. like talking, you know, talking about these kind of pop, pop Christianity, in that it seems to be focusing. And it's very much an American concept that's kind of filtered out um, throughout Protestantism, especially because uh, Protestantism is so heavily influenced now uh, by, uh, you know, kind of the American church, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, the American Protestant church. It, it, and especially these non-denominational pop ones is mm -hmm. that it seems to be very focused on how do I feel when I'm there? Mm-hmm. But it's a different thing than what we're talking about experience and that it's it's almost as though I want to go there because I feel good, whereas mm -hmm. the experience that I had there was because I felt, you know, the felt the divine in terms of I am there and we are all there and all of this that is going on every single word, every single chant, the incense. It was all about reverential worship because the point of the mass is about worshiping the one true living God. I am, am who am not about 
you know, I want to, you know, I, I want to hear music that I can relate to better or mm-hmm, whatever. Mm-hmm. It was about evoking the divine, singing divine chants, not, uh, you know, like where people complain about, well, I can't understand Latin. It's like, well, th- you can figure it out mm-hmm. for one. And two, this is not about you. Mm-hmm. It's about you worshiping God, not about how you feel and how you, you know, whatever. And I, I can't quite put it in, in, into words yet what I'm trying to, to get at, but I mean, that's it. That's like, but it's about it's worship to me. It's like the, the heart of it is we are worshiping the one true living God and that's it. And everything is built around how do we worship him better, uh, more reverently show more respect for, uh, you know, God, the father, God, the son and God, the Holy spirit, and not about how do I come, you know, how, how do I, do we make this better? So when people get back to their cars, they go, wow, that was awesome. Mm-hmm. Cause that's, that's a marketing, that's a marketing thing with, without offending anybody. It seems to be more of a marketing thing. So you keep people coming so that, you know, that, that, it makes more money uh, versus, you know, keeping people coming because they are, they are experiencing the divine and wanting to continue um, in a deeper path of reverential worship to God. And it makes no sense to me that you would want to change that to, to, kind of like what uh, I think I, I sent a tweet out or whatever that uh, I can't remember if, if if you commented on it, but this idea of God was sitting there for 2000 years and was just going, man, I just, you know, I, I, I wish, um, <laughs> you know, that we could just kind of get over all this because I'm really yearning uh, for local sports team jerseys <laughs> and off key xylophones. Right. And that makes no sense to me. Right. The God of the old Testament, the God of the new Testament and all the ways, um, and, and through my study of like Rene Girard as well, it's like this idea of when you look through, if you read the, 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 the scriptures, it's, it's God, the father being present physically, yeah, but yeah. he stops being physically present pretty quickly through the, oh, yeah. throughout the Bible. Well, basically and, at Noah, but, basically at Noah, he is no longer physically present. Yeah. There, there's a few times where like uh, with, with like Abraham, where he appears, and one of the interesting things is he appears with two other people, which at the time they, you know, they were assuming, oh, well, this is, you know, one of the other prophets right, or these are angels right, or right. whatever, where it's like, well, he's appearing with three people. It's kind of a foreshadowing of the revelation mm-hmm. of the, of the, of the of three persons and one God. And then Christ appears, the second person. And then after Christ leaves, although Christ does continue to, to appear uh, on occasion, but his, one of the gifts he left was uh, the third person, the Holy spirit. Mm-hmm. And, it's just a story of people who uh, we, we want everything now in, in modern age. We mm-hmm. want like, Oh, well, I, you know, uh, why can't God just come and tell us everything right. Or any, you know, like we're obviously we're not ready for that. And God may have a better idea of what we're ready for when we're ready for it than we might. And it's just a story of almost like a infancy of humanity's spirituality through kind of a growth process as we're kind of revealed things at points throughout history and we are expected to grow and the church has um uh you know from the israelites Mm -hmm. to the christian church has grown uh in terms of our understanding of it and all that growth is 
is put together in our worship service. And that's what I, I really have started to really understand better is like, it doesn't make any sense to me that all this, all this tradition, all this revelation is now being tossed aside. Mm -hmm. And then when you go and experience that, not as an experience of like, well, I I, uh, necessarily um, it's about me, but that experience that you have when you do participate in the worship of divine in a very reverential uh, and, and worshipful manner is that part of what you get out of that is, is not, you know, a gold chest and, you know, the job that you want or anything like that, but it's, it's like, it's, it's, it's a touching of the divine. Like we were talking about offline about Jordan Peterson is Mm -hmm. what he's struggling with where he has, he has this revelation where he has seen what he calls the narrative, Mm -hmm. uh, what we would call the mystical, of the divine touching the real world. And he's trying to stay planted in the material. And once you experience that, especially once you experience that, and then you try to stay firmly planted in the material, you're you're going to be like we were talking about. Well, it's going to kill it. Two masters. It's going to kill yeah, it. It's good. And like that's, that, I think it will a lot it will kill it, you when when that happens. It will kill you. Like you will physically die. Like I'm not even being like hyperbolic. If you have a mystical experience and you choose to stay planted, like you're being called. It's not like you're going to be left alone. See, that's the thing. Like now you're open. Like now now there's a target on your back too. Because it's like it's not just it's not just the good guys in that realm, right? So it's like no, no, not at now all. that now there's a t- now it's like oh 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 he's tuned in, he's tuned in, and it's like yo, yo you you and the thing is first off Jordan Peterson allowed himself to do to to be that right. It's like look, you decided that you were gonna go ahead and you were gonna wade onto this battlefield. You are going to wade in to this eternal battle, and you better you better get behind one of these lines, dude, because otherwise you're just in the line of fire. You're just in the line of fire right now. Like you you will die. Like it will kill you physically because you're not you're not equipped. You're not equipped for all of this. And and I think that this is another like so this is something that like my spiritual father put me on and it's like I've experienced this myself and it's one of the reasons as a matter of fact it's one of the big reasons why I was like okay um, and it was weird because even at the same time he and I were I was like I wanted to have a, a talk with him about like I got to get in the church man and at the sa- that same talk before I brought it up he's like you got to get in the church and I was like yeah because like I was trying to go to a level where and he he even said he's like you got to understand how holy god is like if you don't have these structures like if you don't have the saints if you don't have the liturgy if you don't have these structures to work within that have been put there by saints who have who have who put themselves on the line who who were willing to die to to keep this manifested in the world like they suffered for they suffered psychically physically to make this happen and like that's your protection you know all of this is your cuz you can't you can experience the divine that's what's happening with peterson it's like you can have an experience of the divine but outside of the like when you go to mass and you have an experience of the divine you're protected 
Like you're in a protected environment to be able to experience it. Like you're in a spacesuit. You know what I mean? Like you can go out and you can be out in space with the spacesuit. He's out in space. He he opened the airlock without a spacesuit on. And it's going to kill him unless he get, puts a spacesuit on. And he's it's already like he, he's he's having the physical effects of it. You know what I mean? And so I yeah, think that I it's mean, like it's an important thing for people to hear because people have been like, well, Vin becoming religious. That's a plot twist. And I've been like, not really. Not really. Because like I've I've been walking this path for a long time. I don't talk about my history in terms of like I've seen the other side. And people can't really appreciate that. Right. I think some Christians can if they're real about it. You know, but I think. I think this is something that the church doesn't even talk about, even though Jesus was an exorcist, even though like almost his entire ministry, besides healing the sick, the other thing that he's doing is he's casting out demons. That's what people are coming to him for. Like, and how did those demons get here is, is well, that's, another thing. That's that it. Well, they've been here. Yeah, exactly. They've been one, here. One of, the, <laughs> one of the books I was, I was reading and it, it was a Protestant theologian so some of it is is not exactly keeping in tradition portions of it, but definitely a lot of the more I looked into what he was talking about as far as for when you look back into the Old Testament and mm-hmm. the stories that were revealed is that what was revealed was that God had, you know, basically this divine counsel. He had this, you know, we were not the only creations. It wasn't just you know, God always existing. And then he was like, Oh, I'm gonna create the earth and I'm going to create some, um, uh, baby face cherubs, uh, to watch over you. And, and then some dogs and cows, right. It was preceding us was, you know, the divine realm mm-hmm. and then the, the, the material realm. And we were called to be his imagers on earth. And then we fell. Then ever mm-hmm. since then, it's just been us. But one, one of the really interesting things is that, you know, we're one of the, you know, the only creatures who are aware of God um, that kind of almost have, have this both physical and and uh, material, or I'm sorry, material, physical, as well as spiritual mm-hmm. um, um, kind of dual, but, you know, in, in the same uh, um, nature. And, but we also have this gift of, unlike some of the other beings that existed um when we sin against god we can be forgiven right and continue and 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 kind of repent for our sins and move forward and i I was talking to a priest recently i was like what i don't understand about you know the demonic is that they you know i would assume that they are aware of the of divine revelation and and the you know the, the god's plan you know it's written down in a book to me it would i would i would imagine that they would be able to understand what's being spoken and know that in the end they're not going to win so mm. why would you continue uh to do this right um and you know he, he explained that we don't really know mm-hmm. for sure how all this works one is maybe they aren't aware maybe uh because of of just their their fallen nature extremely fallen nature they they can't be aware of that or maybe they are and he said that that if that's true that would make them even all the more evil 
you know, just that true personification of not good and not light, if they are purposefully trying to drag other creation, uh, you know, uh, other pieces of creation down into their depths, knowing that doesn't matter what they do, they're still going to lose. Well, but and, I, but maybe it's not a matter of like, you know, maybe that's that's they in in order for there to be a battle, both sides have to go to battle, right? And it's like, I I think that it's that 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 metaphor because the thing is we see it playing out, you know, like I. But the do, prize isn't like a castle. The prize is you, me, every yeah. individual soul. Yeah, but I mean, it, but but to them, I mean, we are, and and that's part of the at least the apocryphal story. The tradition says that they do view us as lower than them. Right, that like that we are more crude than they are, and they were jealous of our exactly of our creation. So that makes it so that position. makes us like a cow to them, right? That makes us like a cow, or you know, in the same way that like I mean, we have these discussions in our own like within the human material world, right? So it's like you've got the environmentalists who are like, you know, no, there's the 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 three the three toed yellow frog in this little area and so you can't build a building and so one side is like well no the building is going to provide jobs or it's going to be a power plant or it's going to be something it's going to help humans humans are way more important than the three-toed frog and they're like no you don't understand there's the free three to and it's like that's the same type of metaphor right and so like what you imagine is that they're like man screw these th- we can we can eat these things we can ride these things we're not gonna they're not they're not up to our level if we want to if we want to go in there and inhabit them and and see and get our nourishment from them like let us do that you know and especially if they're gonna let us if they're gonna let us put a saddle on them and and ride them around and encourage us to do that and so it it the the and this is the problem i think with cuz it's the same people who and i i've uh, there was a, a friend of my stepmom who's he's a pastor black church and he said one time he, i remember cuz it stuck with me cuz i was just like ooh that even sounds evil he was like yeah we give them something to get them from monday to saturday I was like, oh, God. Oh, like not the cure, not the cure, because like implicit in that is, well, we can't if we gave them the cure, they wouldn't come back next Sunday. We just give them something to get them from Monday to Saturday. And and it's like, no. No, the idea is that the idea of the tradition like theological is, methadone. Yeah, exactly. Exa- this is what I'm saying. Right. So it's like the but that's also you know they might talk about demons they don't really they don't really think there's demons that's part of their that's part of their like shtick you know it's part and of that's their what i play. got from from the mass last week was that the priest and he was he was french but his homily was about angels and demons mm-hmm. and not in sort of a metaphorical sense. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about how in, in modern interpretation, and this kind of even goes back into kind of Michelangelo. And actually mm-hmm. I, I was listening to um, 
some Eastern Orthodox uh, YouTubers, and they were was it Pajot or anyways? Pajot I, I can't talks remember exactly. about Pajot talks about Michelangelo a lot and how he doesn't how he how he do, is not cool with Michelangelo. No, and the more I listen to it, the more I'm kind of going like, yeah, I mean, like, it, it, and it kind of goes. Excuse me, this priest was talking about, and it. it jives with that as well it's like we have this idea of well angels they they're these little babies with wings and demons and they, they you know they wear like a leather suit and they have mm -hmm. a red pitchfork mm -hmm. and but they're still kind of cute and cartoony or whatever right and like you go back to the medieval tradition they did they had no uh it was not cartoony no. right the cartoons are kind of based somewhat on the medieval concept of it but they were very real to these people and rightly so and you know the the priest was talking about like no these things are very real they have power they are not as obviously as powerful as the one who created them but they do have power like to pray to your guardian angel to pray mm -hmm. to the angels for assistance is a very powerful thing to do and also don't think that demons don't exist that it's you know just it's supposed to be a metaphor about our fallen nature mm -hmm. or anything like that or a metaphor about the vices and temptations in the world it's like no these things are very real and that movie constantine that i saw you know many many years ago but one of the phrases that uh keanu reeves character used was was uh influence uh, pushers yes and and that's kind of in the movie which is not correct it was these ideas that angels of demons, God and Satan had this deal where they weren't allowed to like come down anymore and they couldn't push truly divine beings. They had to be like these hybrids mm -hmm, mm -hmm. of, uh, and they were here on earth to try and push their influence. But, but that statement is true. They are influence pushers. And like what you were talking about, as far as with Jordan, I've found as well is that the more aware and, closer that i get to this mm -hmm. and involved the more i guess if you want to call it or i shouldn't say if you want to call it, it the more attacked in a way oh, that yeah. you are the more yes. influence that you are to go like you know like i don't want to uh, you know i don't want to wake up and i don't want to do these prayers or you know why don't i just mm -hmm. get my coffee instead of doing my morning prayers right now or you know, the, you know, the, the kids are probably going to start fighting. So there's really no point in doing it. I'll do it later this afternoon or whatever, or as well as just like the regular sins and vices of the world mm -hmm. that, that are in us. And is, which has led me more to cutting out a lot of these things in my life um, that I normally was kind of engaging in as far as, you know, whether it's streaming services yep, or yep, yep. certain types of music and podcasts and things like that. I've started to cut out because I realized that one, it's not bringing me any closer to the vine, which is the goal. Yep. And, and two, it does help to lead you astray, but just even then things pop into your mind or, or whatever sure. that are not helping you get along that way and are lead you, leading me down to a different place that I should, which on one hand, it's almost, it, it, it's almost, um, I don't want to use the word nice. It's, it's, uh, well, for lack of a better term, it's nice in a way that it kind of almost tells you somewhat, you know, and, and you could be fooled as well, but you know, that if you are being, you know, attacked more, then you can kind of infer that you're getting closer to where you should be. 
but also it, there is a frightening aspect of it too, because what Jordan Peterson was talking about is that if you actually do truly believe in, you know, the divine in Christ, it, it, it is absolutely frightening because um, there is a frightening aspect to knowing that these things exist and then continuing on your way. But then there's but, but also the aspect of the, it's it, you know it's frightening to us because we've lived in a materialist age. But but what but if this true, if true. this suffused your entire being, because this is the only this is the entire worldview of everybody around you in the and you have the tradition to keep you safe. It's not ter that's not terrifying. No, and it, like you know, what I'm saying is that on one hand it's. Part of you is terrified because you go, you now that you're aware, you know, it's almost like the Matrix, it just has so many mm -hmm. uh, utilities and, and explanations. But it's almost like waking up out of it, and now you're aware that these things exist. Mm -hmm. Um, and once kind of you know, keep on talking about Jordan Peterson, but you know, what he's experiencing is that he's aware and he's halfway out of the matrix but he's allowing himself to be you know both pulling himself out and be shoving back in by these demonic machines mm -hmm. and trying to survive in that half state and and that is frightening unless you let yourself just be flushed down the tube come out and kind of almost be reborn in a way into mm -hmm. into, into the truth and so that part i do understand where there is some level of frighteningness in that that level of evil is frightening. But like you said, once you, you know, embrace that tradition and embrace the divine, you don't have anything to be afraid of, even in terms of, well, if we're entering into a period of more, uh, you know, tribulation and suppression and where you will be actually, uh, you know, they're uh, treated differently than what we were used to a Christian being treated, say, 20, 100, 500 I mean, I think ago, we right? should use the, the proper term. I think the proper term we need to use is persecuted. Like, I think we need to not, yes. I think we need to not sugarcoat what's about to happen to Christians, right? Because no, no. I, I know that there's probably somebody listening to this, right? If, 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 this, if we're going to make this public, there's somebody listening to this who is on a, in a situation of waffling, and maybe they're like, maybe I need to find this tradition. I think what they need to understand is that it's like, <laughs> this is not offering you a choice to not suffer in what's coming. Like, everybody's going to get the suffering, right? But it's just to not suffer needlessly is the key. And, and, yes. and to... And to be and and for it to have some meaning to what's about to happen, you know. But it's not like Christians are not about to be persecuted. Well, I mean, look at the story that you've just described. Like it starts with you not being able to to uh, to have communion. That's what it starts with. That's I mean, that's the beginning of the persecution. That's what it's always been. That you can't worship anymore. And I mean, you literally just described it's happening now. That's what uh, Taylor Marshall, he's a former Anglican turned Catholic and then more recently in years, traditionalist Catholic. Mm -hmm. And he just had a video not too long ago. It was International Women's Day. He had a video it was from Bogota. They uh, uh, it was a bunch of women 
uh, for International Women's Day. They went outside in front of a church and they started a basically a bonfire out the door and then they burned a cross on top of it and then they were attacking the church. And he, he, he related some other uh, stories uh, just like an hour north of him in Texas. A Catholic parish had been attacked twice in 24 hours. A, um, I believe it was St. Andrew. I'm, I'm, I'm not 100% sure on the site. Anyways, a statue was stolen and then it was found decapitated on a football field Dude. and then broken into later. And like none of this is really being talked about. Um, but once you kind of really like we're talking about embracing the tradition is that once you understand that you, em you embrace the suffering because the suffering mm -hmm. happens regardless of whether or not you want to embrace the truth or not. Yes. But when you don't embrace the truth and you, like you said, you don't understand and it's needless. And then you sit there and you wonder, why am I sad? Why am I depressed? Why is this not working? Why is this bad thing happen or whatever and we can't you know in in tradition it's not going to give you well you know you lost your job and your parents disowned you or your girlfriend or your wife left you or whatever um because of well x y and z and give you detailed to your personal issue but it's saying that suffering is a constant in, mm -hmm. in life it's part of our fallen nature and you can either choose to despair over it or you can choose to take up your cross mm -hmm. to bear it and and offer it like my mother-in-law always says, like, you know, offer it up. Mm -hmm. And by doing that, then you not only can assist yourself in a very practical manner of getting over and and not just getting over, but of, of integrating, of being able to live integrating. Yeah, integrating and living with that suffering, but also have it for a reason yeah. and have it, have it beaten by offering it up to God as a sacrifice on your behalf to him. Then you, it, it's going from a uh, uh, self-help to actually, you know, self-improvement and yes. worship. Yes. Yeah, I could. And I, that's the yeah. history of Christianity. Yeah. And he talked about that. If you look at like the Diocletian and, and other periods um, of, of, you know, persecution within the church is that it follows, you know, kind of a very, uh, it, almost like a, a three-step process. Mm -hmm. And one, it's, you know, it's suppression of, of, of clergy and sacraments. It's suppression, uh, then attacks on the, church and the clergy and then attacks on the actual lay people who mm -hmm. participate and are identified as being Christian. And so one would in a practical sense, go like, well, you know, I want to make sure that I don't want to, but like, I don't want to be identified as that. But then that, that also, that's not a, a, a saving thing. Not at all. Cause that like, cause you're going to suffer anyways. Yes. And do you also want to stand before God very much like the warning at the, you know, during the, the passion and crucifixion of do you, do you want to be the one who denies right, Christ? Right. And, and like you said, you're going to suffer anyways. Mm -hmm. Why not embrace that and, and bring, bring that suffering into, you know, into a positive thing and know that it's, you know, that another thing to consider is that this life is very fleeting mm -hmm. and our goal in this life is not about self-preservation it doesn't mean that you know suicide or anything like that is 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 also a good thing or anything but that self-preservation is not our main goal our main goal is to to ascend and to you know uh 
to to worship God in His kingdom, not to do, uh, you know, what, whatever brings us joy in this world mm-hmm. or safety. And and there's not. <laughs> Well, we're not even, I mean, we're not in a time of safety. There's not, there's nothing, there's nothing that anybody can do to bring themselves material safety. And again, I mean, I, look, we, we're talking about Jordan, Jordan Peterson, but I think it's important because, especially if we're talking about this in the context of like podcasts and people who listen to digital media and YouTube and probably, and particularly your audience and my audience is like, he he represents the prototype of what all these people wanted right and i can speak i i can speak from this see because like i was thrust into or given or however you want to present it like a situation where it was like i was offered and got to have all of these things and it's like the cost right and like for me what i know like i'm in the midst of my repentance right now and like people who understand that will understand what I just said, and people who who don't understand it will think that I just said some 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 weird religious thing, but I didn't, right? And it's like I was working for the other team, like actively, and that's why I say I've not. It's not like I've had some. <laughs> it's not like I oh Vin's religious now, and now he thinks there's demons. No, no, no. I knew they were there, and I've had interactions with them, and. And I've reaped rewards and I've paid prices for that. And I have scars to show it, right? And so it's like, and it's not, and somebody could be like, ah, what he's saying, whatever. And it's like, no, my life is the receipt, right? Like my life doesn't make any sense if you look at it. Like that someone could have been, and it's magical, right? And so it's like, so maybe somebody would call that selling your soul to the devil. People could call it whatever it is, right? But it's like, even if I could be the the fact that I doing that, participating at that level to where it's like, I'm actively, actively participating on the other side and not even like, and it was more like you say, it was, you were were brought to the mountain and shown the kingdom and you accepted it. And I accepted it. Right. And so it's even like, even after you accept, and this is what has, has, this is why I've been like, the 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 amazing thing that it's like just repent and come back to me like that's literally it like that it was just like when i was just like okay i'm i'm done with that it doesn't work for me i mainly because i love my children and my wife more than that right and i tell many people that they saved my life in that regard but it's like even just because of that, and then it's like, I've shut that off to my life, in my life, that side, I will never engage with those entities again, and those energies and those powers and principalities, and leading a different life that's, that's more righteous even in a secular way, and then being like, you know what? No, I miss that spirituality. I miss going to that place. I miss being a part of that. Like, I miss existing in that world. I miss, I miss that, that because... Like, even to miss the junk food, right? So it's like, ah, I even miss the taste of chocolate cake. But it's like, no. So then I guess that means I got to go for the sustenance, the real sustenance, because I've said I will never eat chocolate cake again, right? So maybe I need to go and find what's, what really tastes good. And, and to end up in that, that it's like, oh, and this is so much better. 
And at the same time, dude, to be like, you want to talk about being attacked. Like these are, these are entities that have my, they've got my home phone number and address. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Like we're old friends. They show up knocking at the door constantly, you know? So it's like, like in, in, in full regalia, like, Hey, old friend, Hey, old friend, I see you reaching out. Uh, uh, you know, picking up your phone again, like, oh, hey, 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 who are you talking to on the other line? And, um, but it's like, but you know, th- the thing for me is that it's very easy at this point to to say, like, I don't want any. I've I've had what you have to offer, and it's bullshit. Like, it's, it's super easy for me. But then it's also this, like, that everything is true. That it's like everyone can be redeemed. Like, you are not going to be turned back. You are not going to be, it's not going to, like, if you say that, like, I'm done with being a sinner in terms of missing the mark, like, I'm aimed right at you. I'm aimed right at the most high. Like, I'm right here. This is all I'm aimed at. Like, it. he's there. He's right there. <laughs> like, in every way to fix everything. And that, and like, I'm saying this in like a real, real, like real way. I'm not saying this in some, like something out of a book. I'm not saying this in something a pastor told me really, really real in what could only be called like magic or mystical. Right. And it's like, that's what the tradition has always had in store. And that's the reason why people will, are willing to go to the cross. That's the reason why people are willing to be martyrs. Like, you only need one experience of that, dude. That's all you need. One experience of it. And it's like, you're, it's your change forever. Well, I'm, I I remember, you know, especially if you read, like, the lives of the saints, and, you, you know, it's not a jealousy. Um, but, you know, reading, uh, you know, the words of, like, Padre Pio of... Uh, a lot of the other saints who had like deep, very deep mystical experiences. Um, Padre Pio was, you know, he had, he was a stigmatic. Uh, he had this, you know, the marks of Christ. And, but, you know, on the other hand, a lot of these saints, when, when they are deeply, like you said, in a term, not theistic, because they're, you almost when when you have these encounters it, it, you almost become uh saint thomas and that you have you know like you have witnessed it you know christ said that you know those who uh have not seen and believed are are blessed uh whereas thomas you know was able to put his hands on the actual wounds exactly of christ and I, I don't think that I've had the same level of, of mystical encounter that you have. I wouldn't I've wish had, it on I, anybody, by the way. Like No, I, I and, don't and I don't mean with the dark side, I just mean with the Oh, with I'm the, talking with, even with the on light. the light side. Like again, yeah. I wouldn't wish I would not wish it on anybody. Like it, to to be able to find it without that level of intensity, I think is it, <laughs> please find it, it like if you have the opportunity, take it don't doubt until you're like slammed in the head because it's not like it's comfortable or anything. Even the encounter with Christ is not a comfortable encounter. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I just, uh, I haven't like a part of me yearns for that. A part of me yearns for that 
like uh, to you know like I've said I've always known I've never actually had any doubts so in a way a part of me has known but to actually have that full experience but recently as I've tried to do more of of I don't know a, a mystical approach to prayer I've also been very careful of asking the divine and you know asking god specifically to only show and to basically a lot of it what i do is i just ask for guide me on my path show me where i need to go and and you know and then i will go there and and part of that was like you know and in a way it's it's kind of a a small and innocuous thing was i just posted that um and we kind of inter- yeah, i think you you'd seen that the on, chapel on Twitter. Yeah. I had this, I was laying in bed and before I ever go to sleep, I, I, uh, unless I just like fall asleep, you know, uh, somewhere without knowing it, I always say the, the, you know, the St. Michael prayer, which is a very pr- uh, powerful prayer um, as far as for protection and, and kind of like warding off, you know, the, the, the non-divine. And as well as after I say that, then I start saying the Jesus prayer. It's kind of like a meditative thing as I'm falling asleep. But as I was saying that, I just kept on having this uh, vision, you know, not as though it was like in virtual reality or standing right there per se, but it was like in my mind's eye where I just kind of was imagining. And I kept on seeing this building, very small, in the north end of our woods facing um, east uh, and I just kept, I, you know, I just, it kept on seeing it and then it stuck with me. And the next morning I woke up and it was one of those things. Like I remembered it right away as soon as I kind of became conscious that I was awake and it just kind of stuck with me. And I, I talked to my wife a little bit about it after I, you know, uh, I, I ended up sitting there and I sketched it out and um, uh, I talked to her about it and she's like, no, I think that's a very you know good idea. And, and it just so happened that uh, we'd, we'd had a little bit of extra money come in and that would basically pay for the whole thing. And um, it's, you know, it's going to be very simple. It's like just a little six by eight cedar sided inside and out. Um, basically, if you want to call it, you know, the, a shed, it's going to be the building plans is, is a shed basically with just a window in the front and a door in the back. I'm going to, I'm trying to source some Gothic stained glass, but that might be a little bit more expensive than I want to do or that I'm able to afford, but it's just going to be a table right below the window and a couple of pews that will hold, you know, four people. You could probably fit maybe a little bit more along the walls, but mainly just for individual or family prayer and kind of to be this idea of a place set aside. Um, You know, we, we will still have in our home, you know, right in the main living room where we spend most of our time, we still have our little, place where we have you know our uh, image of our lady and and our lord as well as a saint michael statue and our rosaries and everything like that um but uh in this it will be a place set aside that's not going to have any of the distractions there's not going to be you know the kids coming down i have to go pee there's not going to be you know the phone buzzing or anything like that it's going to be a place set aside solely and that's all it is and it reminded me at Cassie's, uh, or sorry, my wife's um, uh, college. They had an adoration chapel called the, Por- uh, called the Portuncula. And 
it was basically kind of like a, a replica of the uh to some degree the first church that saint francis of assisi built and you know it, it's very small it's, it's all rock um which is why i wanted to make ours out of stone but that was just going to be too expensive but the peace that you felt in that place and all adoration chapels kind of have that feeling where where christ is present but this one was this it had that feeling of you know of tradition where it's it's stone and you kind of every little noise kind of echoes off but it was basically dead silent the only noise you would hear is people either walking in or maybe shifting their position maybe a little bit but everybody was quiet and they were either kneeling in prayer or they were sitting and reading uh, scripture or a life of the saint. And I wanted that same thing. And I think that that will be a very important thing. Uh, you know, I think it's placed on my heart because of like what we're talking about, what's coming. And I think it'll be a very important thing for our family to have and to be available for others if they so wish uh, to be able to have this special kind of place away, especially if we're talking, you know, possibly churches being shuttered and, and things like that, um, of having this place of prayer and contemplation where you can go to that's not a living room or not a side room or a pantry or something like that. It's huge, man. I, I mean, that was, it's interesting that like th this, this pattern of, again, like, let's go back to Abraham, right? Like, and, and Abraham and down through the generations, you just like see it time and time again that as soon as they decide that they're going to go into the mystical, as soon as they decide that they're going to have that relationship with, with the Most High, then like in a real way, right? Like to where, and to where it's just like, it's about the relationship. It's about the one-on-one -on -one relationship. Then it's almost like immediately what they're given is like set aside a place. It seems that that, and, and then you're told, and, and they're told, like, think about it. Like all the stories, every single one is that they're told and they're told like specifically how to build it. Like through the, through the generations, it's just time and time again, it's that it's just like, I was shown to build this. So whether it's from Noah and the ark to the, 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 the line of Abraham, the many sacrificial sites and altars that they built and the way that they built them to the ark of the covenant, like go all the way through, man. And it's just like, again, and, and maybe this is a good place to end it. And I got to rock off pretty soon. We're going to go to this little Island over here, but, like that's where it's, I, I think it's important for people to see that this is where tradition comes from. You know, that it's like, this is the relationship that we have with the divine. And that all of those things that are in there, that's, it's, it's, they're there because they've been communicated. That's how they stuck around. Like they were communicated to the saints and, and, that's how they got into tradition. And it's super, like, it's super important. I mean, like, so that's an experience. You know what I mean? Like, that's a real experience of the divine manifesting in the physical. To where it's like, he wants to be manifested in the physical. He, obviously, right? Like, that's the entire faith. 
is that he's saying I'm not a psychological, I'm not just a psychological construct. When we agree to be his instrument, he is going to have us manifest things in the physical that are for him. And we have to discern what's for him and what's not. And like you say, not be fooled. And like, now I know what his voice sounds like and I know what the other voices sound like. And like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still human. Those other voices offer nice things. You know what I mean? And I can't say that through my whole process and through everything in the future that, that maybe they're not going to catch me one, a, a time or two. You know what I mean? I can't say that. I'm no, I'm, I'm not, I'm not Christ himself. I'm no saint. (laughs) You know what I mean? But I know where I'm oriented to and I know what nourishes me. I can't say that every, that, that I might not sneak a Snickers bar here or there. I hope not. I don't have the desire to do that now, you know, and the desire gets less and less as time goes on, obviously. But it's like, you have to build the chapel, right? Like, you know that. I know you know that. Like you yeah. you have to build it. There's not like a question about it. No, it's it's a it's a it's strange uh in terms of you don't often have these like we all have impulses. Mm-hmm. We'll have this impulse like I you know I want pizza, I want whatever. Or I you know I really want to go to Hawaii. But to have that feeling of not only want but surety mm-hmm. and 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 uh, a, a clarity of focus was you know I, I guess part of it is that um, uh, we all get influenced by the cultures that we live in and grow up in mm. and um, just as in a lot of people with relationships marriage or whatever are influenced by you know, rom-coms or, you know, uh, Pride and Prejudice or whatever. And like, well, that's what a relationship and marriage and love is, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Where in fact, it's very different. Mm-hmm. And and it's from that, not only because it's a movie, but also because everybody is everybody is different mm-hmm. in every relationship and marriage, everything's, you know, they, they fit together differently. There's no X and Y. Um, part of that, though, is is tradition that helps to guide you to, to, uh, the correct fulfillment of that. But um, I guess maybe it's part of it of my saying, well, you know, maybe I haven't had that same experience as that we all experience it differently. Mm-hmm. And also maybe some of that's experienced in that, uh, or I've been influenced wrongly to have some sort of cloud come, you know, like a voice right. from a cloud, yeah. right. Right? right? You know, and like, it's going to be a big booming voice and I'm, it's going to be unmistakable, right? Where right. Then again, you know, reflecting a little bit more in this, you know, last few minutes of you saying that is that, you know, when you talk, when you read the lives of the saints, some of them do have those experiences where it's like literally a person in front of them. It's that same feeling. Some people, it's like a a voice, you know, Joan of Arc or Mm -hmm. or others. It was it was a whisper. Whisper. Absolutely. But, you know, but you know that it's the and that's like, do you have any doubt? That 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 vision was given to you by Christ. The vision of the no, chapel. no, because you know part like I said, you you want to make sure you're not led. Is that yes. even when you do feel as you've had that sort of interaction, is you also want to almost that's what tradition mm-hmm. does. You run it through that filter mm-hmm. and you go, okay, it's not saying okay, but you know you need to uh, you know cut off a chicken head and, right. and do right. those other right. stuff in there, right? And you go, okay, now that I've run it through the, like, there's no red flags popping up right. in my auditing software. Um, 
and all of it that will result from it is good. Mm-hmm. So by doing that, I mean, that's almost a very materials perspective of, of looking at it as well, but, but that's what tradition offers you too, is help in that material world yes. of yes. being able to interpret the divine of whether it is divine or whether or not it's something trying to lead you in, in the wrong direction. Yes. And by doing that, you go like, yeah, like that was not, that was not a mistake. It wasn't me, you know, you know, falling asleep and and uh, just kind of having these random things pop into my head, and that's where you know, I guess we don't want to get into dream interpretation no, and those no, types of things no. either. But, um, but, but yeah, no, I I know that you gotta that you gotta run, and I want to uh, continue this conversation because I think it's it's going to be a, a continuing conversation. No, we we should. We'll I mean, get... we should we should do this like semi regularly because I think you know you and I have been on like it's not the same path but what is it like we're walking next to each other man in many ways you know it's it's synchronicity it's syn- yeah in, in and i mean like our paths are, are 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 synced up in a way to where it's almost like you know every once in a while it's like oh yeah i'll meet you at the next town on tuesday you know what i mean we'll sit and have a yeah. drink and talk about you know your adventures over here and i'll tell you about my adventures over here and maybe we'll walk together for the first few miles you know and like that's 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 certainly is rare in my life and i think and we were talking about this you know before that it's like i think people get a lot and 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 maybe maybe some of our conversations now they come back up i share a lot of the things we've talked about with people and they're like oh my god i didn't even know this was happening i have a feeling it's going to be a lot less hidden now but it's also like people need to hear these conversations you know like people need to hear i think what you're going through there's a set of people that it's going to be very very important to and it's experiential and like so i hope i hope we can do this more often i mean weirdly enough i see these things as i talk about them being amplified so then it must be what people want to like well, it's not even what people want i know who wants it right so it's like i'm just trying to be i mean honestly that's been my thing and it's, it's like this was given to me by my spiritual father but it's just like i'm just trying to be the hem of his garment at this point that's it mm. you know and it's like and without him, I'm a dirty rag. I'm nothing but a dirty rag. You know? But, like, as the hem of his garment, it's possible that, like, even perhaps that someone just, even just by their experience of just having an experience with me, maybe that's enough, right? And I think mm-hmm. that, like, I've, I've always viewed you as a very similar type of individual in that, and it seems like you're going down that same path, so... I hope that we I hope that we can continue to have these conversations seriously. No, and and I definitely um I, I definitely want to do that as well because I, I think uh the you know I quit the the quit doing the podcast about a year ago, pretty much exactly um a year ago is I think the last one was like the end of February, so it's it's within a couple of weeks and for various reasons and then now I kind of feel it's very important um you know not i'm not you know it was before it was very bitcoin focused now i i think we're both kind of jumped off Mm -hmm. uh that not out of our purview but as far as like focus wise Mm -hmm. what is and where we're heading to 
um, that there's there, there's definitely some realities and uh, that that are going to be coming into focus where uh, you know faith, spirituality, um, and and belief, or well, I guess not necessarily belief. It just depends on the person whether or mm-hmm. not the belief is necessary versus knowing. But anyways, these concepts are going to be very useful. One for people to know that they're not alone. Exactly. Another for people to there's that thirst like you said like that this seems to be like that thirst has been there but i think it's being amplified as these things are coming down the pipe Mm -hmm. and that people are either going to turn that thirst towards things that don't quench it or by these sorts of conversations people being able to kind of follow along journeys of people that are not perfect by any sort or any stretch of the imagination, but are also fellow fallen individuals trying to mm-hmm. figure this out mm-hmm. and will kind of be able to be pointed in the right direction and start their own spiritual journey of getting closer to the divine. Man, fully. Thanks, dude. Let's do this again Yeah, soon. thank you. All right, sounds good. All right, brother. Ooh.